Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. We are in a series um, called Church on Fire, and we're learning how to be a long-lasting and impactful church. And um, we're learning how to do this because we don't want to just be uh, something that's relevant for a moment um, and is gone. One of the the, uh, amazing things about, well, the culture that we live in is trends come and go so quickly. Um, It's crazy because, like, um, I've said this before. I think I've said it to you guys, but um, my family and, like, Hannah's family, wherever Hannah is, my wife, there she is. Shout out, Hannah. Um, uh, Our family's from California, and I used to joke that when I was growing up, I'd go visit, like, my grandma and stuff in California, and usually it would take about, like, five to sometimes, like, ten years for like trends that were happening in California to make its way all the way to Vero Beach. Like it was like, we were literally like five or 10 years behind the times. Um, Now that's not the case. Now because of social media and things like that, trends like they are worldwide at the same time. Like you go anywhere in the world, more or less, and uh, teenagers kind of dress similar. I mean, we've got our own flair, like we've got our Vero Beach style that's unique to us. But like for the most part, you just see because trends kind of sweep across and they come and go so fast. And I think one of the things that we can assume about the church is that it's like that, that it just comes and goes. Um, But we're here today because the church is not a trend. The church has withstood everything, every political rise and fall, every trend, every style has come and gone. Every king has come and gone, but the church is still here because our king is not a normal king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so we stand today a part of something bigger than us. And so we are learning Specifically, like the factory youth, we're learning how to be a part of that which is going to go long past us. The thing about the church is it's said that, um, the, that the, the message of the gospel or the church is always one generation away from extinction. Meaning that if if the current generation doesn't rise up and take the mantle of the message of Jesus to the world, it's going to go extinct. And that's 100% true. Like we are called to embrace that and accept that. But the promise of the Bible also is if, if one person doesn't rise up to do it, somebody else will. And so what we're learning is how we can be those people that rise up and take our place in uh, part of what God is doing. So that's kind of the, the background of this series that we're going through, how to be a church on fire. And tonight we're going to talk about the way in which the message of Jesus transforms the world. Really simple, um, it is through sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel. And that's really what we're going to talk about tonight. My message title is a question, and it is this, do you share the gospel? Do you share the gospel. Um, according to research done by a group called the Barna Group, 100% of Christians believe that they're supposed to share the gospel with other people. 100% of Christians that people identify as followers of Jesus believe that they are supposed to share the gospel with others, which is good, given this is the direction given to Christians from Jesus. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. It's on the screen. It says this. And he said, Jesus said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So Jesus gave us this commandment. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, the message of hope that is found in relationship with God to everybody. 
But listen to this. According to that same research, um, 100% of believers believe that they're supposed to. According to the same research, only 52% of Christians actually share their faith. So 100% of Christians believe that they should, but only 50%, half, um, believe that or actually do. Which is like, okay. You're like, okay, half, 50%. That's pretty good. Um, But in comparison to the fact that everyone believes they should, only half actually do. That's that's pretty bad. Um, It it would be like the equivalent of saying 100% of skydivers believe it's important to have a parachute. But only 50% of skydivers actually wear a parachute. You'd be like, that's so stupid. Right? Like, if you believed 100%, like, yes, we all agree that jumping out of an airplane, a parachute is, like, number one of importance. Like, or, like, a squirrel suit or something like that. You ever seen those things? People are nuts, I swear. Anyways, um, 100% of people believe it's a good idea, but only 50% actually put it into practice. When you think about it like that, it's kind of confusing. And 100% of Christians believe they should, but only about 50 do. And, and there's a lot of contributing factors to why this is the case. One of which is the culture that we live in today is very against the idea of conversion. Meaning, telling someone that their belief system is wrong and they should believe the way I believe is probably the most, like, controversial things you can do in our culture today right like imagine put yourself in this position for a moment that you walk into a classroom or walk into a a, a mall or walk onto the beach and you walk up to somebody that believes different than you and you tell them that your belief is is not the right belief and I think you should believe what I believe for many of us, that kind of makes us queasy in our stomach to think about. Like it is, it is so sort of taboo, to, or even worse than that, to think about sharing our, a gospel, sharing a message, and thinking that they now need to convert to what I say. Because we live in a culture where everyone can believe what they want to believe, and everyone's right, nobody's wrong. To quote a pastor by the name of Tyler Statton, he said this, quote, The only universally agreed upon moral wrong that exists in our world today is the idea of evangelism. I'm going to say that again. The only universally agreed upon moral wrong, like everyone would agree this is wrong, that exists in our world today is the idea of evangelism. In other words, telling someone that they need to change their beliefs. And so the reality, because of the culture in which we live, we don't share our faith because for many of us, we don't know how, or even worse, we don't feel like we can because everyone is allowed to have their own beliefs. What then tends to happen is we either normalize or privatize our faith. 
We normalize or we privatize our faith. We normalize it in the sense that we explain it away as something that's no big deal. Just add Jesus into your life. It's no big deal. God is fine with whatever you do. Just say this prayer and go to heaven, but you can keep on living exactly how you are. And we sort of normalize and devalue what the message of the gospel is. We're like, yeah, it's just to add Jesus. Like, you do this, you do that, just throw Jesus in the mix and you're good. You'll go to heaven, say this quick prayer and you're fine. And we just normalize it. Like we, we, we make it palatable. We make it like eh, nobody's going to be offended by this message. Or we privatize it in the sense we live in such a way that no one ever knows we're a Christian and we never seek to share the gospel. So we normalize it. We just, ah, you did. Yeah, it's no big deal. Take it or leave it. Or we privatize it and make it like nobody knows that I'm a follower of Jesus. The problem is this is not at all the call of the Christian, nor is this the message of the gospel. The call of the Christian is to share our faith, and the message of the gospel is repent and believe in Jesus. That's the message. So how then do we share the gospel? Because this is, this is sort of the tension that we live in. And some of you guys, you, you live in this tension and you don't even realize it. Some of you, maybe, maybe you don't even realize the, um, the centrality, and I'll explain that in a moment, um, of the message of Jesus. In the sense of like, this is the message the world needs to hear. And so we, we just kind of dismiss it. And we've never really thought about the fact that God has called us to actually share what we believe in hopes. To, I'm going to kind of use a, a yucky word for our culture. But to convert people to what we believe. That, I mean, that is essentially what we're called to do. So, okay. Um, are you guys with me? I, I'm trying not to offend anybody, um, but I want to be very clear on this, okay? So I love you guys. Just so you know, I love every single one of you. And even if you're here tonight, right now, and you're like, I don't believe that. I love you, and I'm so happy that you're here tonight. I'm going to express what the, the call of the follower of Jesus is, okay? And we're going to ask that by God's grace he speaks to us, Okay? All right, Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. We're only going to read four verses tonight. I had the, a plan of, like, making it, way, the, like, all the way through chapter 17, and I failed miserably. I got through four verses. So that's what we're doing tonight. All right. Remember, we're following Paul, and remember, Paul and Barnabas broke up. They were, like, this power duo. They got in a fight, and they broke up. And now it's Paul, Timothy, and Silas. Last time we saw them, they were singing praises in prison. Remember that story? Um, and then also Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is with them as well. So they're released to prison. They go on to the next town to continue to do what they're called to do. Verse 1 of chapter 17. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis, everyone say Amphipolis, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and arise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. 
And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. I think that was the verse that I got confused by a few weeks ago that I was looking for that it was just weird, like double negative, because it says like, and not a few of the leading women, which means like a bunch of the leading women, which is like, why didn't you just say that? I don't know. Not a few of the leading women. It was a bunch of the leading women. Like, okay. All right. In this, in this four-verse story, we see both the message that the Apostle Paul preaches and the method that he uses to share the gospel. Okay, so we're talking about do we share the gospel? We're talking about how this is the call of the Christian. Jesus said, go into all the world and proclaim to the whole creation the gospel message. This is the call of the Christian. So what is that message and how do we share it? The first thought, we're going to talk about the message. Verse 3 summarizes Paul's message in sort of a bite-sized way. He says it like this. This is Paul's message, that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Now, obviously, this is not all that he would say. In fact, um, we're told that for three Sabbaths, or three weeks in a row, he showed up to the synagogue and proclaimed a message. He taught. I doubt it was one sentence. In fact, Paul was known to preach for a really long time. One time he preached so long, we'll get to it in a few weeks in the book of Acts, that he preached so long that it was in the middle of the night and there was a kid sitting in a window and he fell asleep in the second story while Paul was preaching because it got so late and he fell out of the second story and died while Paul was preaching. So don't sleep in church. That's the, that's the takeaway message because um, you might die. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so Paul, I'm sure it was more than this. Don't worry. They, God did a miracle and raised the boy from the dead, so it wasn't the end of the story. Come on. <laughs> All right. Good night, you guys. Um, but let's break down what Paul's message is in these, verse, these verses. Okay, the first thing he says is necessary for the Christ. Necessary for the Christ. Christ is the Greek word or the Greek idea of the Hebrew word Messiah. So we throw around Messiah sometimes you hear. That's us speaking Hebrew. Like you're like, I didn't know I knew Hebrew. Messiah, there you go. Um, and then Christ, that's a Greek word. I didn't, you didn't know you knew Greek, did you? Christ, that's a Greek word. Um, both of them, the idea, the translation, the English version would be Savior. So Christ or Messiah means Savior. So he says, in other words, it was necessary for the Savior. A Savior, listen to me, is necessary when someone needs saving. Paul's message is, hey, it was necessary for the Christ. It was necessary for a Savior. Jesus admits to this in Luke chapter 19. He says this, For the Son of Man, that was one of the names he called himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. A Savior is necessary, listen to me, because humanity was and is lost. Now, lost is a very kind word for Jesus to describe humanity. 
Because the, the idea of lost, you kind of get lost for one of two reasons. One, you weren't paying attention, right? Like, you ever been lost because you weren't paying attention? Like, that's like, oh, my gosh, where am I? Like, I was not paying attention. Um, other times you get lost because the things around you, the environment around you gets really confusing. Like, you were actually, like, hyper-focused. Like, sometimes I'll have, like, Google Maps open on my phone and Siri speaking to me. And I'm, like, paying attention, and I still make the wrong turn. Because you're like, what is wrong with these roads? And Siri's always delayed. And I'm like, what is going on? And then I, like, pray for me, pray for Hannah. But I always, like, somehow try to blame her. I'm like, why didn't you? It's like, you're holding the phone. You're driving the car. Like, relax, buddy. It's not my fault. I'm like, fair enough. Um, but sometimes you get lost because the environment is really confusing and hard. Jesus says that those, humanity, apart from him, is lost. Part of which because we weren't paying attention, but other parts because the life we're living is very hard and confusing. And we find ourselves far from God, we find ourselves lost. And because humanity is lost, he says we need a savior. It was necessary for the Christ. And then he goes on to say this, to suffer and rise from the dead. So it was necessary for a Savior, and it was necessary for the, the Savior to suffer and rise from the dead. This was um, the way in which those that are far from God can be brought near. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. Humanity is lost without relationship with Jesus. Jesus came to find those. And the way in which he is able to find us and bring us back to him is through what Paul says, to suffer and rise from the dead. Jesus, through his sinless life, his atoning death, and his victorious resurrection can bring those that are lost and far from God back into close relationship with him. I'm going to say that again. Jesus, through his sinless life, his atoning death, and his victorious resurrection can bring those that are lost and far from God back into close relationship with God. He says it was necessary for a savior because we were lost. He says, to suffer and rise from the dead. This is the way he can bring us back. And then he says this. This is the quote from Paul. The, the first part was sort of a summary by Luke. And then the second part was Paul's actual words. He says, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, he is the Christ. Paul, in this statement, makes it clear that Jesus, listen, is the, I wrote in my notes, capital T-H-E, the Savior. The only Savior. Listen, humanity is lost. We need a Savior. And Jesus is the only Savior. He is not a way to be found. He is not a way to God. He is the way to God. Jesus would make that statement in John chapter 14 where he would claim for himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father except for through me. And Paul says, this Jesus, whom I, I preach to you, is the Christ. He's the Savior. Humanity is lost, and we need a Savior. So there was a Savior. 
He lived a perfect life. He died an atoning death. He rose victoriously from the grave. And through faith in him, we can, though we were lost, can be brought near and can be found in relationship with God. Where God can restore all that was lost and right every wrong and bring purpose and favor and abundant life and eternal life in him. The message is humanity is lost and far from God, but there is a Savior who can bring us to God. Jesus is the way that those that are far from God can be found and brought near. That is the message. That is the, 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 really the simplest version of the message. Humanity is far from God. Jesus brings us close to God. That, that's the message. Humanity is lost. In Jesus we can be found. So that's the message he preaches. Now, let's, because we're talking about how to share the gospel, let's talk, number two, about the method. The method. We are told four things about how Paul proclaims the message. Four things. Now, it's real quick and summarizes uh, his statement, but then he gives us four sort of ways or methods that he uses um, to explain it. Now, I use the word method to have the double M's because my brain thinks like that, the message and the method. I, didn't, I don't have a third point because I couldn't think of another M, okay? So that's, how, that's how, where we're at. Um, but method um, in the same way as like conversion kind of, it sounds very like... Um, like product placement e, or like um, like door to door salesman e, like like God like saves you and then He tricks you into like okay now you got to go door to door and like tell people so and, and then like okay here's a method like here's like your little way to do it you know like stick to the script so it's it's not really that um, it's more just as you live your life how do we bring this message that we've Receive that we were far from God, but now we can be found in relationship with Jesus. How can we bring that to other people that are lost as well? Okay, four quick things. Number one, um, convenience. Uh, follow me for a moment. Convenience. Um, probably, again, not the best word, but the idea is that Paul went where he could have access. We're told that for three weeks in a row, Paul went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Why? Well, Paul was a religious leader. He was a Pharisee. Prior to his conversion, what he did, he was actually like really a, a, a famous Pharisee. He uh, worked under a guy named Gamaliel or Gamaliel or something like that, who basically like New Testament scholars, they don't say it like this, but he was like the Yoda of Pharisees. Like he was like the ultimate like religious master that you could follow and, and work under. And Paul was trained under him. So Paul was like a big deal. And so for Paul to roll into Thessalonica, this tiny little town, and go to the synagogue, people would be like, oh, Paul's here. Like to have the floor, share whatever you want. And so Paul had access to this place and he used his natural access to then gain opportunity to share. All that to say, where we start with sharing the gospel is where we have access to. Like, so for Paul, it was the synagogue. For you, it's the classroom. For Paul, it was the synagogue. For you, it's the gym. For Paul, it's the synagogue. For you, it's the sports team or the theater or your art class or whatever it is. Like, Paul had what he had access to, and he used it. 
And you, wherever you go, you have opportunity because you have access to represent and to present the message that you have in Jesus. The second thing we're told he did was that he reasoned with them. The word could be translated as disgust or conversed. Um, reasoned with them is not stand on a street corner and yell, nor is it to be a better debater. That's not the word. Like Paul didn't go in and better debate them. Because I'm very much convinced that you can't argue people into the kingdom of heaven. The word is really to have a conversation with someone. It's to ask a question. It's to find out who they are. It's to think about what they're going through. It is to connect with them in some way. It's to have a relationship, to see who they are, to know who they are. And conversation is centered around relationship. He went in, he had access, and he began to talk to them. Maybe he asked, like, what's your life like? Do you have any kids? Oh, that's great. How old are they? Do they play any sports? Oh, they run. That's so cool. What other sports are there in first century AD? I don't know. Running and chariot racing maybe and wrestling, yeah. Probably boxing, huh? Boxing was at the very first Olympics, so yeah. They box, whatever the case. He had a conversation, relationship centered around just life, connection, similarities. We're in the synagogue. He reasoned with them. And then the third thing we're told that he did is he explained. He explained. The idea of explained is that he clearly communicated his thoughts and beliefs. He knew and understood the gospel, and so he could share it in a clear way. I'm going to kind of like make us all feel bad for a moment. But in order for us to share the gospel, we have to understand it and know it. You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to share the gospel, you got to know the gospel. Like, you, you, like, in order to explain it, you'll have to know it. You know what I mean? It'd be, I mean, it's like, it's like you don't know the information sometimes, so how are you going to pass the test? <laughs> Some of you guys are like, oh, I never study, and I always pass. Well, we don't like you, and it's not fair. The rest of us, we fail those tests that we don't study for. And in order to, in order to share the gospel, in order to explain it, we've got to know it. We have to understand what it is and, and think about. And I would, I would challenge you even to, to maybe write it down in, in, in what makes sense to you and how to explain it. And then uh, don't, I wouldn't say practice it, but practice it. Think about it. Like, what is, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is we are far from God because of our sin. And Jesus has made a way through his perfect life and his death and resurrection for us to be brought near to God. And we can find hope and life and purpose and eternity with him. And the last thing we're told is not only did he explain it, but he also demonstrated it. The word um, literally translated as um, to place beside. That's the word. So he demonstrated it. It's literally translated to place beside. The idea, what it's, the reference is, is that his behavior was placed beside his presentation. So Paul came into the synagogue, and for three weeks in a row, he presented, he explained, he reasoned, he had a conversation with them. And at the same time, his life demonstrated what he was talking about. 
We have a, we, you might have heard this before, but the idea is to practice what you preach. It is like, I'm saying one thing, and my life is also an example of what I'm saying. He preached the message of Jesus, and he lived his life as a demonstration of that message. All right, last thing, worship team, you guys can come up here. After the method and the message, there's an invitation and a decision that the person hearing the message is left with. When the gospel is presented, it always requires action, or at least reaction. Let's look again at verse 4. Could you pull up um, verse 4 of Acts 17? I know it's backwards in the notes. It says this. So he, pre- he preached, this Christ whom I proclaim to you is, or this, this Jesus whom I proclaim is the Christ. And then it says this, and some of them were persuaded, and they joined Paul and Silas, as did great many of the, doubt, or, uh, of the devout Greeks and a bunch of the leading women. So he presents it. This, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And afterwards, the people hear it, and we're told that some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. They were persuaded and they joined. Listen, the gospel, the message of Jesus, it leads to repentance or conversion and it leads to discipleship. Meaning, it it leads to a response where I am choosing now to follow Jesus and I'm going to position myself in such a way that I can grow in my relationship with God. The gospel is not a, a get out of hell free card. Like, that's not why we do it. The gospel, like, let me just say, like, the gospel is not like, oh, don't you know what's going to happen to you when you die? It's going to be scary and hot, so say this prayer and you'll get out of it. That's not the gospel. That's like a scare tactic. That's like a bad message. That is not the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is life and life to the full. The heart of Jesus is love and mercy and compassion and relationship and walking with him. In fact, the message that Jesus most often preached to people was two words. He would go up to people and he would say, follow me. That was it. And people, guys with careers and families and lives would put down their job and just follow the guy. Because they they saw there was something There's life, there's purpose, there's identity, there's hope, there's calling found in him. And so the message of Jesus always leads to a response and a desire to walk with him, to learn from him, to live like him. Gospel should always lead us to repentance and discipleship. But also... And I said I'm going to close already, but I'm going to close really with this. Notice that it was only some. It says that, sorry, one more time, Lucas, thank you. Love you, buddy. Um, throw, yeah, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. And in fact, this is the theme over and over throughout Paul's ministry is that some were persuaded. Some of them were like, yeah, we're all in. Others are like, no, we're going to kill you. <laughs> That's literally like the, the, next, the next section of what we were trying to get to tonight is an angry mob forms after his response. Some of them were persuaded. They're like, yes, we will follow you. Others are like, uh-uh, get the torch and the pitchfork and let's get this guy out of town is the response. 
Some of them were persuaded. Listen to me, this is so important. Our job is not to determine who we think may or may not respond to the message of Jesus. Our job is to share what God has given to to us with others. Because Jesus' desire above all else is to seek and save the lost. He wants every person that is far from God to be brought near through faith and relationship with him. If you don't believe me, listen to the words of Jesus. He said this, Luke 15. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And in case you missed it, he says it again just two verses later. He says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus wants to find lost people. And we have been invited in as well. Do you share share the gospel? Does your life demonstrate the message that you've believed? Do you look for opportunity where you have access to share the hope that anybody that is far from God, no matter how far they feel or how alone they feel or how messed up they are or whatever they've done, that they can be brought near to God through faith in Jesus. That is the gospel. That is the hope that we all have. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us. And the worship team's going to...